Software Engineering Radio episode 100, Software in Space. This is Software Engineering Radio, the podcast for professional developers on the web at se-radio.net. SE Radio brings you relevant and detailed discussions and interviews on software engineering topics every 10 days. Thanks to our audience and the partners listed on our website for supporting the podcast. Welcome listeners to this birthday episode of SE Radio. This is episode 100. So this episode is about software in space. We talked to Hans-Joachim Popp from uh, DLR, Germany, Deutsche Forschungsanstalt für Luft und Raumfahrt, kind of the German NASA somehow, in some way. Anyway, um, but before we get started, I really want to uh, say a couple of words about SU Radio and how it has developed. As I said, this is episode 100. We have been doing this for two and a half years now. During that time, I think it's fair to say that we have become one of the premier podcasts in software engineering. Thanks to all of you for listening. We have way more than 10,000 listeners per episode, which is really great. The exact numbers are, of course, always a little bit fuzzy. So, um, well, anyway, suffice to say we have more than way more than 10,000. We're talking to interesting folks um, because SU Radio has become, well, people know it to some extent. Um, people are willing to talk to us. So that's great. Um, that helps make it even more interesting in the future. We also organized or are probably, hopefully, organizing the get-together this autumn. We still need more papers. We need more people writing position papers to come. Um, if we look at the current numbers, uh, we, both, we don't have enough people to actually run the thing. So we need more. Otherwise, we have to cancel it, unfortunately. A couple of other things that I want to uh, mention. Upcoming changes in SU Radio. One thing is that we will have transcripts for all the episodes we already have two or three transcripts online i think it's episodes 88 and 87 if i'm not mistaken um, the transcripts are made possible brought to you by itemis um, a german consulting company itemis.de or itemis.eu if you're english speaking and uh, michael manulis um, helps us get these things organized He's a listener who has volunteered to uh, help with getting the transcripts done and doing quality assurance and stuff. This is also a call for help to all of you listeners. Currently, I do most of the work and uh, it's getting too much for me. I, I have to step down. I have to do less work for SU Radio. I can't continue like that. It's, it's really too much work. It takes away a lot uh, from all kinds of other activities, uh, among them earning money. If you want to help with SEO radio, for example, um, writing show notes, organizing links for topics, putting up the podcasts, you know, uploading them and, and, and editing the page, making sure the people who do the actual interviews uh, send in their audio in time, all that stuff. You know, the, the, to some extent, the grunt work of, of keeping the website running, of making sure we have a new podcast every 10 days and all that stuff. I would really, really, really appreciate your help. So if somebody uh, was willing to help us there, of course, you'll be part of the SU Radio team. Please let us know. We really appreciate that. I, as I said, I, I have to step down a little bit and, and, and do less work. I, I really like doing the interviews and stuff, and, and that's true for all of the others in the team. But um, we, need to, we need to get help doing the work part of it, which is keeping the stuff running. 
So uh, please, um, if you're able to to help, please please contact the team at team at seradio.net and, and help us out. I think that's it. Um, let's now get started with the actual episode, with the actual content. As I said, it's about software in space with Hans-Joachim Popp from DLR. This is another episode recorded at OOP. And uh, today, we, today we are talking to Hans-Joachim Popp from DLR. You probably will not know what that is. Um, so welcome. And uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you and what DLR is and what they do. And so they know what, what it's all about today. About myself, I come from the engineering uh, side. I am electrical engineer specializing in uh, control science and very early I got into uh, I went into the uh, real-time uh, processing uh, business and um, I from there I uh, did my PhD in software. Uh, ergonomics or mm -hmm. software uh, or human factors as it's called mm -hmm. <laughs> in in the US and uh, on the other hand uh, software engineering methods uh, specializing in uh, the application environment of uh, of uh, hospitals mm -hmm. and there uh, again specializing in intensive care uh, units mm -hmm. so where you have high risks uh, where you can't train people uh, doing their uh their business with the computers and that that was my special uh theme in in my phd and from there uh moved into uh the industry uh into development of high risk mm -hmm. software or software for high risk environments and from there i uh went into the general it environment um Uh, became the CIO, the Chief Information Officer of one of the biggest uh, certifiers uh, in Germany, the TUV, uh, mm -hmm. Southern TÜV. Germany, TÜV, yeah. uh, Süddeutschland, yeah. as it's called, and uh, became a um, responsible person for uh, the delivery of the whole IT business of TUV. And uh, now, since uh, beginning of 2005, I am the CIO of the German Aerospace Center. In German, it's called Deutsches Zentrum für Luft- und Raumfahrt. That's yep. why the abbreviation. Uh, so uh, we are, uh, you can say, a very uh, basic uh, um, development partner uh, of the German and the European uh, aircraft and um, spacecraft industry. That That's our core business. And then we have... Uh, in uh, travel, um, uh, in uh, the travel industry, in the vehicle mm -hmm. industry, and uh, and also in the energy uh, industry, our partners. Mm -hmm. So the topic today is uh, quali software quality for mission critical space systems. And of course, some of you know that I'm a pilot and an airplane and space nut. So I'm of course very happy to have the opportunity to talk about that stuff. So. Um, We are basing this basically on your presentation at OP. So let's start with um, a little history of software in space. Um, you have a couple of nice uh, examples of how this stuff evolved. So why don't you give our uh, audience uh, somewhat of a, of a history of, of all, all that stuff? I, I, I want to start out uh, from the beginning where software started to play a major role in, uh, in the construction of spacecrafts mm -hmm. that uh, you can 
say it, it began with Mariner 4 and in, in 1964, where the first uh, programmed or, or kind of software-based system mm -hmm. uh, was installed. And uh, um, then from there, uh, it began... Uh, a, a cultural change in the minds of the developer, you can say, because it took several years until they really uh, got aware of the importance of software. Mm -hmm. They started out looking into hardware faults, uh, all kinds of redundancy, but always hardware redundancies. Uh, nobody came uh, to, to the conclusion that it could also be a nice, a good idea to have uh, redundant development teams, redundant yeah. languages and all yeah. that. Yeah. So it took a long time and, and several catastrophes uh, to find that out. And uh, in my talk, I have uh, some old, very old slides um, from, uh, for, for us in Germany. I would say the, uh, the crash of the Ariane 5, yeah. uh, uh, the, the maiden flight of Ariane 5 was the major point where the German... Uh, software developers uh, in in the uh, spacecraft industry began to introduce um, quality assurance mm -hmm. in software development. That mm -hmm. that's the major point. As as most of you might know, uh, the the Ariane five crashed uh, just because of some um, a missing uh, casting. Uh, so it was just overflows uh, mm -hmm. uh, that were uh, occurring. And uh, that was a disaster that had cost uh, about uh, 1 billion uh, <laughs> euros. Mm -hmm. And only some, some lines of code could have rescued that. Yeah. Um, so this was really a change in the minds. And that, that was the beginning of uh, the foundation of quality assurance uh, circles, uh, work groups, um, mm -hmm. really uh, dealing with that. So, what's the in which language was the Ariane five uh, code written? That was uh, a good language, Ada. Ada okay. But if you, it it's, it uh, doesn't help as long as sure. you, <laughs> no, <just laughs> you write code. That's uh, yeah. yeah. That that was Ada, um, and um, at that time, uh, most of the code uh, for uh, these really mission critical. Uh, uh, um, software was written in other. Yeah, you have you have a couple of other examples of well-known disasters. Yes. Um, how, how do they were they same problem? Basically, a coding flaw, or or what? What are the typical reasons for for well, disasters? You have the A three twenty crash in Mülhausen. Um, yes. So so what are some of the other reasons why things um, go wrong? Well, um, what I wanted to point out is that more and more the disasters l later um, had uh, not only uh, programming flaws mm -hmm. uh, as a basis, but also uh, severe um, faults in the requirements engineering, mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. the analysis of the complete of the whole system. As an um, ergonomics person, I would say there were system ergonomic uh, faults. Mm -hmm. That means you have not only a technical system, but you have a human uh, in the system. And all this together, right. uh, there came the faults where the pilot lost or got lost in the in the in the very complicated procedures during critical situation and then the the eight uh, three twenty uh, crash is one example where the manufacturer can obviously say the pilot is mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, in charge of that disaster, 
but if you look into the uh, diagrams and, and the uh, uh, very complicated uh, gears uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, working together, yeah. software side and hardware side, then you can say it's easy to get lost in that. Yeah. We're recording this in January, not too long after the BA38 crash, I think it was, the 777 in Heathrow, where people say that both engines were lost on short final, which also doesn't look like pilot error only. So there also s might lurk some, some software problem it, it there. It sounds funny, and we will see yeah. uh, what comes out. Yeah, there. we shouldn't be too, yeah. too early to say something. But yeah. Anyway, there is also something about the Mars Climate Orbiter. I actually wasn't aware that there was some problem with it. So what was going on there? Um, the Climate Orbiter uh, was supposed to uh, swing into uh, an orbit around the... Uh, the Mars, yeah. but uh, there were calculation errors, mm -hmm. and uh, the the curve or the the orbit curve was not calculated properly, so it didn't go into an, a proper orbit, but crashed on the surface okay. of the Mars. And uh, this was only because the units, the calculation units, were mixed. <laughs> uh, so one team uh, was uh, mm -hmm. uh, was calculating in yards per pound <laughs> and per second, mm -hmm. and the others uh, were in, in metrics. And okay. uh, this would be uh, no surprise if the teams would be uh, would have been in in different countries, but they mm -hmm. were both the in US. This is the the difference. So, okay. Uh, Funny, but yeah. again, uh, it was due to missing uh, testing environments, missing yeah. testing procedures. And what we do today is we always take out hardware pieces and simulate them by software mm -hmm. one by one. And uh, so uh, at the end, we have the complete system in software and in hardware. Right. Uh, okay. So we have a better chance to find yeah. these flaws. So let's go from, let's say, um, motivation through the disasters to uh, some of the solutions. Um, let's look at software engineering in mission-critical systems, what you do there. So you have two case studies here. Yes. It's called Vertis, whatever that is. Uh, Vertis is uh, an instrument uh, that uh, is now, as we are speaking, uh, orbiting the Venus and trying to uh, find out uh, something about the atmosphere of the Venus. And uh, our w one of our teams did uh, the software integration for these uh, infrared uh, cameras. Mm -hmm. And this was for us a, a major step in developing high-risk uh, software. And that's why I have this as a uh, little example Uh, I have also some uh, slides on how the hardware looks. Uh, it, it's it's not uh, very uh, different from yeah. <laughs> what we know. Um, so is this off-the-shelf hardware or is this custom-made? No, no, no. Custom this is all certified uh, uh, hardware because we have radiation, mm -hmm. uh, we have high um, um, temperatures, we have very low temperatures. Yeah. So you have uh, all kinds... You, you need... Everything is in, in, in pure gold <laughs> at okay. minimum. Uh -huh. uh, <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> yes, you you have better metals than, okay. than gold uh, okay. for for that. <laughs> okay. In the meantime, mm -hmm. um, but it's all certified hardware, of course. And is but it still, it's not the major part of the costs, of course, sure. to to have that hardware. So, so how much processing power is there? Is it like a three eighty six, four eighty six, or how, what? You know, how much memory do you have? Any feel for that? Um, well, you can. 
in general, you can calculate that. Uh, I would I would uh, estimate that we are uh, in the hardware. This is which is used here. We you can say maybe we are ten years back okay. uh, from what we have now on top. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So it's very conservative, and uh, processors are always uh, uh, much slower. Yeah. And but also energy consumption is a big uh, mm-hmm. thing. So sure. we are. Uh, calculating or the the the, um, the rate is is much lower to save energy mm-hmm. and um, well compared to our uh, top computers we have of course they are slow yeah there's always this joke there is today yeah. more more computing power on your mobile phone than yes. what they had when they flew to the moon yes <laughs> much more <laughs> <laughs> anyway um what is interesting is is that uh, these projects are uh, done by teams that are mixed uh, by by different European from coming from different European countries. So you not only have uh, the different languages, but of course you have different cultures and yes. all that. So if you want to have some functioning uh, software in the end, uh, you have to uh, apply really strict. Uh, um, uh, metrics and strict um, uh, um, methods of of cooperation. So, so do you use things like UML or something, or do you have yes, your own yeah. your own methods? There, there are. Uh, there is. Uh, in this case, we used a UML. Uh, we we used the the, the Rose environment mm-hmm. uh, for that, and uh, I I come to that a little later mm-hmm. okay. uh, in detail. But uh, the the hardware, if from the functional point of view is quite what we know from everyday computer hardware. It's it's better material, of course. Yeah. It's, it's conservative, it's slower, it has less memory, but basically... And this is also a project that has been done in C. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and a part of it is assembler, but mm-hmm. uh, most of it is in, in C, in pure C. And any subset like MISRA that the people use in automotive, or is it full C with all the pointer matching and stuff? Uh, it is it is just plain C, okay. but um, of course the methods we used and and the testing environment uh, restricts right. the use of different instructions of yep. certain instructions. Of yep. course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the method is a kind of a V model, mm-hmm. the standard V model. It has some more steps in between. Uh, uh, you usually uh, don't have, but um, you we are really focusing on requirements engineering and in the course of development we had uh, the mo- most of the problems came from missing requirements or states we didn't describe in our in state uh, machine based state machine yeah, uh, uh, yeah the states yeah. in the state machine that were not not described yeah. that was a major uh, uh, error uh, source. So can you give our listeners uh, a little introduction to the V-model and what you changed there? I guess they're more familiar with XP and other agile processes, so they probably don't know much about this stuff. So. Well, it's the V-model, of course, you, most of most of you uh, will know uh, that uh, you always have some um, uh, requirements uh, paper or uh, you have a design paper and you evaluate that, you, you validate that um, mm-hmm. uh, against uh, as certified results mm-hmm. that come out of the coding, and of course you can granulate this a little more. Usually, you you just have the paperwork on on uh, the requirement definition and the architecture, mm-hmm. and there we have two more steps. Uh, we have uh, after the architectural design, we have 
a detailed design uh, phase where we do on a very low level units testing against mm -hmm. a detailed design study mm -hmm. so it's it's more granular but it's it's uh, basically a v model as you know it mm -hmm. okay um well um, i i just wanted to point out that uh, of course in uh, today's uh missions we start a mission uh before uh, we have Uh, reach the end of the development uh, because it it might take years to to finalize uh, uh, software and uh, we start uh, the mission as soon as we have the basic uh, uh, software in place so you mean we, start, we are able launch yes launch yes oh, cool. you mean you, you, so yeah. you're saying is as the spacecraft's already on its way to whatever wherever it's going you we update still, the software we still calculate that we have to do development work and ah. we, we 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 calculate that we We can learn on mm -hmm. on the way, like uh, on the way. Uh, if you if you have a four years mission, yeah. then at the end you will of course have several updates mm -hmm. of even core uh, units of the software mm -hmm. in place. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the history, well, if you if you go back again uh, to the Voyager uh, missions, yep. then uh, if you wouldn't have had the cho the chance to update, then mm -hmm. uh, this Voyager wouldn't be as active mm -hmm. as it is today and yep. as we speak here uh, 30 years uh, after launch it's still uh, this uh, this uh, craft is still um speaking to us i think uh, it's recently uh, left the solar system yes, right yeah. yes right in august it left uh, the solar system and has again uh given us some some proofs of, of special uh, special uh, astronomic uh, um Uh, things so uh, it's it's incredible how long this yeah. uh, uh, spacecraft is on its way mm -hmm. and this couldn't be without uh, severe changes in the coding of course mm -hmm. do you know what the languages were that have been used back then for voyager uh, well that's all assembler okay and uh, i know that the voyager uh, as Or I, as far as I know, it's about four four thousand instructions you can place there. <laughs> uh, so and it has a tape recorder mm -hmm. to store mm -hmm. data because mm -hmm. the memory all uh, together is only 4K, yeah. and so you need um, it for program and for result data. And of course, the images uh, Voyager took were much bigger mm -hmm. so they were stored separate on separate thing yeah. on separate uh, tape recorders and sent then uh, back to earth mm -hmm. flying museum i guess yes <laughs> fascinating <laughs> yeah so um before we g get to the metrics and some yeah. of the process and review stuff you're doing um just give me some overview about which languages and operating systems and other tools you use is it still as you said mainly c does ada still play a role I, I can only talk for for the research uh, side, and there we use mainly C. Mm -hmm. uh, we use as operating systems. Of course, we have specialized uh, operating systems for for real time yep. use that are uh, that have been used for many years uh, that are proven. Of course, we we, are, we don't change uh, to yep. Windows X Y Z. Well, sure, <laughs> but maybe you could use Lynx OS or or, or whatever these off the shelf uh, real time systems are. So you don't do this. You don't. Uh, you have your no, own operating uh, there system. There is there is big experiences. Most okay. most mm -hmm. of the uh, things, uh, most of the operating systems have a long history, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they are not changed very often. Yeah. Mm. 
and before you mentioned that you use a lot of UML modeling, do you also use code generation or do you code everything manually? Um, we don't use code generation uh, for obvious reasons because you, you don't want to maximize uh, risks. Uh, we, we try to reduce the lines of code. Uh, mm. For this mission I just mentioned, uh, it's only 20,000 uh, lines of code, mm -hmm. so a very, very small Uh, amount, but we invested uh, for each line. We we invested uh, about uh, half an hour at least uh, review time yeah, or, or development yeah, time. Yeah. I also somewhere saw the ratio between uh, application code and test code, and I yeah. think it was twelve to one. Yeah, twelve to one. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's also an important thing. I I told you that we try to replace hardware pieces by software. Mm -hmm hardware in the loop testing yep. uh, and uh, of course this takes a lot of uh, coding right. uh, or scaffolding ah, around yeah. that so right. it it's it uh, sounds scary but mm -hmm. uh, i think it's it's quite normal that you have if you have such a, a high risk code uh, even if it's a small code uh, you need a lot of uh, uh, things around it yep. so yeah. okay so in, in addition to coding you already mentioned you do a lot of paperwork Uh, yeah, specs and, yeah. and reviews. So, can you elaborate a little bit on the on the on the on the practices you have there? Well, uh, we uh, do uh, several kinds of uh, automatic uh, code reviews. So, so where we try to to uh, automatically test the code uh, with respect to certain common flaws or design mm -hmm. errors. Yeah. Um, but uh, in the end, we review the code regularly. Uh, in teams where we look into the code, uh, we try to explain, uh, the developer tries to explain the code to some person who is not involved, mm -hmm. who, who learns or reviews the code with the, the, the one, the developer usually is the junior uh, developer and oh, yeah. uh, the senior developer uh, is looking uh, into the code and asks questions. Okay. Uh, which can be uh, very exhausting yeah. for the developer, yes. but it helps. It helps uh, very much, and uh, you can find much more uh, of the errors uh, if you do it that way. It's it's uh, very expensive, time consuming, yeah. but it uh, brings us to a very high level of of uh, or low level of errors yeah. or in total. Yeah. I know that from our work in uh, in the hospital environment also where this is done regularly and uh, leads to really um, a very high quality. But it, I guess it can be a challenge for the ego of the programmer if their code is basically... So there needs to be a really working team. So they uh, accept criticism from the others. The first thing you, you have to do is to establish a culture of of uh, being free to do errors, yeah, yep. to, uh, that you, you don't ask uh, why did you do that or... or stupid uh, idea. Stupid <laughs> idea. Uh, but where, you, where people can feel free uh, to, uh, to talk about their problems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, yes, this, this is a... Um, uh, you, you can't use that in a hierarchical environment right. as you have it maybe in, in other uh, industries. Um, where high pressure is in place, yeah. uh, you need the freedom to make faults and to find them and to talk about them. Yeah, yeah. And many, many catastrophes occurred because this didn't function. Yeah. Because most of the errors were known. Yeah. 
uh, were even discussed on a lower level, but the management closed their eyes and said, yeah. well, I don't want to hear it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, for us, this is really a cultural thing, a, mm -hmm. pr a prerequisite. Mm -hmm. Are there any other tools you think are worthwhile mentioning? How do you specify requirements? Is it basically you write a Word document or do you do, you do anything more? Well, we, ha we have a special uh, uh, tool uh, for, at least for this mission, and we try to mm -hmm. uh, establish that, that, that's Requisite Pro, mm -hmm. uh, where we do the requirements engineering. There are several other tools, um, but this uh, our, our standard environment we use for high-risk uh, developments. Uh, contains that and for code verification uh, we use this very uh, good but also very expensive yeah. uh, a tool a polyspace yeah. and um, of course configuration management plays a major role yeah. and there we we use the clear, the clear case yeah. and uh, so there's a, a whole bunch of tools we try to establish in dlr Uh, for for company wide use. Yeah, I guess you also to measure quality and, and and problems and issues. You probably do a couple of metrics, I would guess. So, can you say something about the kinds of metrics you use? Uh, we of course try to measure how many faults we program, how many errors we find per day mm -hmm. or during the development, mm -hmm. and of course. Uh, the reasons, where do they come from and where do we have to focus on. And interesting is that we um, really, um, we, how, how, how we divide our development time, the pure development um, is only 40% mm -hmm. of uh, the time. 25% we invested into management Mm -hmm. um, uh, into systems engineering. That's uh, that's the, the the view from really above, yeah. where you look into the 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 techniques, technical things, and yeah. the humans yeah. or the uh, operators. Yeah. And mm -hmm. uh, and thirty five percent we invest into the design. So mm -hmm. not touching any keyboard, but just thinking about how to uh, yeah. things and the integration tests yeah. Yeah. and. Of course, we try to uh, measure productivity, mm -hmm. and there we found out that we, having this high level of quality, we can uh, produce 0.6 lines of code per hour uh, <laughs> in the development. <laughs> yeah. uh, of course, this is a very small uh, project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you want to say maybe something? So we are actually nearing the end because you're somewhat yeah. in a hurry. You have to do the, yeah. the, the, the talk. Um, what kind of errors you can find using the static analysis and coverage tools? What is How, how do you distinguish between what, it, between what you do in reviews and what you do with automated tools? Well, uh, of course, uh, the, the, the test, the coverage tools can only find a, a small set mm -hmm. uh, of, of errors and uh, most of the errors still are on the requirements uh, level or on the, on the semantic level and uh, We we use them. We use the the code coverage tools, but it's it's not sufficient. Mm -hmm. You still have to yeah. review yeah. Uh, the whole uh, system and to have an, a test environment where you, uh, as I said, where you test the whole system together, the integration tests, yeah. um, where you play the whole mission uh, through and 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 see what happens. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not it's not enough to. Uh, to have the static uh, 
code yeah. uh, analysis. Yeah. Okay. And um, one one last thing that I'm interested in is this, this redundancy stuff. Obviously, you have probably redundant hardware. Sure. And also, you try to get rid of those accidental errors by not using the same hardware in the two redundant cases. You have different mm -hmm. processors, I guess. Yes. Do you also do redundancy in software? Do you do like one, one, one software in C, the other one in ADA or assembly language to make sure the compiler doesn't kill you? Um, uh, there, there are parts that are in different uh, languages, uh, but... Uh, I think even more important is that you have different uh, minds involved, uh, different mm -hmm. teams. Mm -hmm. uh, one uh, person who is not that deep into right. that spec mm -hmm. uh, is really looking into the specification uh, coming from outside, uh, posing questions that are just uh, yeah, posed uh, with a view Uh, from outside the project yeah, yeah. and there you find uh, I think the major um, flaws mm -hmm. um, of course it would be good to have uh, uh, software parts written in different languages that control each other this is done partially but uh, of course it's it's a matter of of uh, uh, skills and in the end costs yeah. uh, that you can have yeah. uh, different developers team yeah. what in uh, in medicine, of course, that is done regularly. I also heard yeah. that in Airbus in the flight control software yes. they do it. Yeah. Ada and C, I think, yeah. or C plus plus. So to wrap this up, why don't you give us your 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 summary, your your lessons learned from the kinds of projects, and and hope that the people who don't necessarily work on these kinds of things take something away from that. Yeah. Um, well, I, uh, I have a mission in my company to establish a software engineering methodology right. that is used by all of our developers that's the dream mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and um, why can I dream of that because um, we are spending a uh, hundred million uh, euros a year for software development so uh, there is a good reason to introduce that yeah. and um, of course you always have the question um, why should we invest in that because it, it costs too much yeah. and it's, it's always a problem to convince people that it's not more money but you can <laughs> save money yeah. uh, in yeah. the end yeah. um, but this is one of, our, of my missions yeah. and um, of course I, uh, I, I, I try to remind people that we have in, in these high risk missions we have to go forward conservatively mm -hmm. uh, in, in slow steps And we have this cultural thing that the, the, the project manager has to be open for any uh, remark from the developer mm -hmm. where they say, we don't feel good with this and this, or we, yeah. we, we, have, uh, we have a problem, we see a problem there. It has to be open and, and grab this uh, problem and say, let's go into detail what's, what's happening there because it's going to come back. Mm -hmm. In the end, uh, and this is one of our our. I mean, this this means you have to accept each other yeah. a, in a team, uh, and everybody is free to to make an error and to report it. So once again, it's a people problem. Yes. <laughs> okay. So thank you. Just very like always. Yeah. <laughs> Not a different. Same old thing. Yeah. So thank you very much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Software Engineering Radio. If you want more information about the podcast and all the other episodes, visit our website at se-radio.net. 
If you want to support us, you can donate to the SE Radio team via the website or you can advertise for SE Radio, for example, by clicking on the Dick Reddit Delicious and Slashdot buttons. To contact the team, please send email to team at seradio.net or if it's specific to an episode, please use the comments facility on the website so other people can read and react to your comments. This episode of Software Engineering Radio, as well as all other episodes, are licensed under a Creative Commons license. Please see the website for details. Thanks to Charlie Crow and the Podsafe Music Network for the music used in this show. The song is called Vegas Hard Rock Shuffle. <laughs>